hundreds and to the thousands every single day of what you should believe, what you should think, what you should, uh, what you should be a part of, um, what's going on. And all these messages are coming to us. And here's the thing. Whoever has the microphone usually wins in our life. So you're growing up. What I mean by the microphone is whoever you've allowed, maybe the most compelling voice or the loudest voice, you've kind of given them the microphone to speak in your life. And they've tried to convince you of a specific way or a certain way to live. And the microphone that you've given them has, has been, the message has been spoken into your life, whether it's by choice or by somebody else's choice, maybe a parent as you grew up, say, this is what you should believe, this is what you should think. And a lot of times, um, the, the, the bad stuff always surfaces and we, we get stuck on the bad, we get stuck on that. And, and part of that is because um, when, when you have something bad, you can use that to your advantage for strength to say something negative about the other side. We see this in the politics going on. One side blasts the other side. They use the negative news to try to fuel their agenda, right? It works and both sides, happens both both places. In our cult, in our country, there's, there's a division that's going on between races or division between politics. Uh, there's, there's a... Um, a lot of negative things we can look at, uh, and, and, and there's, there's these sides that we always get drawn to. It's this or it's that. It's uh, this way or it's that way, and, and we sometimes get in this mentality of it has to be one or the other. Well, we have a problem, and, and our world has a problem, and you have a problem, and maybe you don't even know there's a problem, but all of the evil and all the bad that's going on, uh, it started back in the Garden of Eden when, when God created everything. He said, here's, here's the wonderful world you can live in. You can eat everything you want. Just don't do this one thing. And he, he restricted them from one uh, tree. And, and this is love, just so you know. Love gives people options to love back. It's not a forced thing. It's not somebody who dictates and tells you what you must think and what you must do. That's not love. That's called control. That's called something else. But love is saying, here's an option. We want a relationship. You have an option to love me back or you have an option to walk away. And that's what makes love so good is because when this person chooses to love back, you know it's genuine, you know it's authentic because it's a reciprocal relationship. It's love. And God loves us. He is love. And so he gave humankind the, 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 the choice to make to do what's right or to do what they wanted, do what's wrong. And we have a problem, and it, it's called sin. And when sin entered the world, we all have the same choice. What do we do? Every single day we have these options to do this. And, and, and it broke our relationship between man and God. See, in the beginning, it said that they walked together. They had a relationship together. And then when sin entered, the relationship was broken between man and God. So we celebrate Easter. It's a day that we celebrate the cross on Friday and the empty tomb on Sunday. It's really about Jesus coming to earth to fix the problem that we have. God came down as a man to live like us, live among us, and then to die on the cross for us. He came to fix it. So we're not suffering because of sin. We are guilty because of sin. You know, people will say like, all right, well, I'm a, I'm just, I'm a good person. Isn't that enough? Isn't being a good person just enough? Well, imagine if we said there was a lady. She was, she was a, maybe a widow now. And she raised, a, 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 she took in an adopted child, an orphan. And she raised this little boy. She poured a love in. She, she worked hard to get him through college. He gets his degree. And during this process, she taught him how he should live honorably, tell the truth, help others, serve people. And in this process, she, she taught him how he should live. And as he graduated from, from college and began to work, you know, the, the phone calls became less and less with his mom, you know, an occasional card for Christmas or whatever. Um, after a while, he stops, starts ignoring the phone calls. But he lives exactly like he told her, honorably, and tells the truth, and he does what's right. But he just ignores the very person that helped him get to that place. Would we call that honorable? Or would we call that condemnable? We'd say that that's not right. It's being good is not enough when it comes to the relationship with the person that's helped you get to where you have. And that's the same thing with God. We have a relationship that he wants with us, and being good is not enough. Because how good is good enough? 
See, the problem is, 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 is he came to fix our problem that we have, that we've separated, separated ourselves from God. He made a way back to God. In fact, this is the first, I love the picture of the cross because this is the first picture that we see. It's a vertical relationship that God is trying to introduce and say, hey, there's, there's a way back to God. God made a way back to himself. You broke it, we broke it, I broke it. And in that, we don't deserve to have a relationship with God. But Jesus says, I'm going to come because I want a relationship with you. I want you to have the opportunity to have a relationship with me. And he made a way back to us. Isaiah, the prophet, Isaiah 53, 11. When it comes to the cross, this is what it says. Um, when, when he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous service, servant, talking about Jesus here, will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all of their sins. So the prophet Isaiah wrote about Jesus coming. Um, and then the disciples, and the people of Israel, when, when the Messiah came, they missed him because they were looking for something different. They were looking for his second coming, which is him coming in authority and with, forth and with, with force and with strength. But the first time he came to serve, and he came to give us a way back to God. They were looking for the second part of that, and they missed it. And throughout Isaiah, especially Isaiah, he has tons and tons of verses about Jesus and, and how he's going to come and the predictions of how, how he's going to live and the things he has to go through. And in this, he's saying, the servant, Jesus, he'll make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he'll bear all their sins. So if I told you about a story about a judge... You know, goes to his bench, and he, uh, you know, people come, they broke the law, they come before him. They stand, and one person, he says, you broke the law, here's your punishment, you know, go serve it, whatever, how many years in jail, or whatever amount of money, here, here, here you go, do it. And the next guy comes in, next person comes in, and, oh, he, that guy's kind of a good person, looks nice, and the judge says, well, you broke the law, but we're going to just kind of let it slide this time. We would not call him a just judge, would we? Yet people get mad at God. They say, well, why is, why is God, you know, he's he, he, he just let every, everything happen for everybody. Well, he wouldn't be a just God. Because he established, he established his rule, his, his way of living, his law to the people of Israel he, in the Bible. He gives it to us very clear. And, and beyond that, uh, Paul even says in Romans that he inscribed it on our hearts. Like we know how we should live. And when we do the opposite, we feel it. There's guilt, there's shame, there's remorse that comes with that. Because he's written it on our hearts. And we break that law, there has to be some kind of payment. In fact, Paul says in Romans that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So our, our, our payment for sin is death. In fact, that's what God told Adam and Eve. Don't eat of this tree, because as soon as you do, you're surely going to die. It will bring death. Death to every part of your life. Physical death, relational death. Death will follow, and it always follows sin. When we break God's law, we invite death. But Jesus, he stood in the way because this is why. When he, when he came down and he bridged that gap, Jesus' death satisfies sin's requirement. It's a, legal, it's a legal action he did. He stepped in and said, I am going to satisfy the payment for what we owe. And he atoned. He stepped in. He, he was a substitution for us. He made a way. Maybe another way we could say this is what sin broke Jesus fixed. The very thing that sin broke, Jesus, he fixed. So we get this, we get bombarded with all these messages, these different sides, you know, people trying to compel us this way or that way. And say, when Jesus came, a lot of people think, well, Christianity is a religion. You know, I don't think Jesus came to set up a religion. That is not what it's about. Christianity is not supposed to be a religion. It's a relationship. It's not about religion. It's about relationship. He came to bring something else. So we look at in terms of, 
uh, religion and irreligion. Right, we have these two extremes. We have conservative, we have liberal. We have all these extremes that we, 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 we get these sides. And throughout life we keep trying to figure out what is what, what's better, what's this. And in the middle of this, Jesus is saying, all right, I have, a better than, than, I have something better for you than just religion or irreligion. You know, you're maybe a, a system that, that uh, is, is, is so focused on what you do and, and, and the rules that they forget about the person that gave those. Or you have a, a belief system of, well, anything goes and really you can't tell me how to live and uh, there is no absolute truth. And you have these two sides of saying this is the way or the other way. Um, and even this, so God, Jesus, he, he bridged the gap between um, heaven and earth. And in sin, it also broke, made relationships with, with people. Our, our, our horizontal relationships also broke in. And he even came to bridge that. He came down to encompass and, and, and do that. If you go to the next slide for me. There you go. And he came to, to do this. We can say it like this. Religion, it doesn't make room for grace. And it can be hostile towards others outside the belief, their belief system. Even to the point of killing others because they don't believe. That's what religion brings. It doesn't make room for grace. And in irreligion, it doesn't make room for faith. And it can be hostile towards others who don't hold the same belief. And in the middle of it, Jesus didn't come to set up religion or to disprove that. He came to give us another way. Maybe we could think of a third way. Give us a third way. It's called grace. It's called the gospel. In fact, it says Jesus went around preaching the gospel, that heaven was here, that he was going to set up his kingdom, that we can live in this perfect kingdom. The gospel, the good news. So we have all this bad news circulating all the time, and in the middle of it, God shows up in the middle of bad news. You know, I think we could probably relate, our world can relate a lot to the world that Jesus came into and entered into. There's a lot of bad news that was happening and going on. And in the middle of the bad news, Jesus enters and says, hey, I want to preach the gospel. I have good news for you. I have something good for you. I have good news for you. And he comes to bridge that. And in fact, we even see the followers and the people throughout the stories that Jesus, that he embraces. It's like his, his arms can reach long enough for the irreligious that don't want anything to do with God. We, get, we had a, a man named Levi, a tax collector, who abandoned the, his people to work for the Romans and went the opposite extreme. We get, we get Paul, who is the Pharisee, who above, Pharisee of all Pharisees, the smart guy, intellectual guy, who held a religion that was so passionate about it that he was actually killing Christians. And Jesus was big enough to spread that gap and why that gap pull him in. He gets the intellectual and the poor that maybe didn't have any education and the sick and the beggars. And he pulls them in and says it's wide enough to reach even to all of those different people that are all around. We all worship something. In fact, I'm going to read you a quote. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for many, the compelling reason for, for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type of thing is to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. Worship your body and beauty, sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when, when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. Worship power. You'll end up feeling weak and afraid, and you'll need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect. 
Being seen as smart, you'll end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. But the insidious thing about these forms of worship is that they are unconscious. They are default settings. Everybody worships something. The question is, what are you worshiping? So it's not that the religious worship saying that religious, we all worship something. There's something there that we're worshiping. It's what system that you've chose, what is it going to produce in your life? In the middle of this, God shows up and says, it's not about another religion. It's about relationship. It's about having faith in even the unseen and things that you can't even explain sometimes. In the middle of it, God is saying, just trust me. It's about relationship. Don't miss this. It's the third way to bridge religion and religion. The the rich and the poor, the elite and the nobodies. We get get the story of Nicodemus, one of the religious leaders who's searching for, for um, for truth, and he comes to Jesus in the middle of the night, and he becomes he becomes a, a Christian. He he believes in Jesus because in the middle of this, they're waiting for their Messiah, their Rescuer, their Savior, their Superman, and they're saying, "When's this guy going to come?" And Nicodemus wants to know, "Jesus, are you this guy that we've been waiting for?" He says, "I am," and he speaks of dying and suffering, and I bet the time Nicodemus didn't understand it. But he told him how to be part of the kingdom. And then when he sees Jesus die on the cross and raised from the dead, he bridges the gap there. So Jesus didn't come to give us more rules to follow, but a journey to be lived out. Not rules to avoid, but a choice where we can have an impact on others. This is what Jesus did. You got the next slide for me. And we have the cross. Jesus is trying to bridge the gap between our relationship with God. He's trying to bridge the gap of relationship with others. In fact, when they asked him, what are the most important things in life? He said, relationships. This relationship and these relationships. That's what life is all about. I've come to bring that and to, to fulfill that, to fix that. I've come to fix and make a way back to God. So the second part of this is we get the cross, but we also get an empty tomb. Now, without the tomb, uh, this demonstrates that Jesus was God. Otherwise, it's just another... You know, man that says, I'm a Messiah, I'm here to save, but dies. And this is why so many people were disappointed in Jesus' death, because they thought he was the Messiah. And they didn't read the scriptures correctly, they didn't interpret it, they didn't see that he had something better and more in, in mind. And because of the empty grave on a Sunday morning, it proves not just that he conquered death, that he's Jesus, but, it, but he takes the very power from the thing that we, could, we should be most afraid of, death. And he takes that fear away because now we don't have to be afraid of death. It demonstrated Jesus was God. So when we get the two, the cross and the empty tomb, we get eternal life. We get a picture of life everlasting, going on forever. I'm, I'm going to read through the story. This would, this would be today, 2,000 years ago. On a sunny morning, Jesus died on the cross Friday. Saturday was Sabbath. They didn't work. They didn't do anything. I can only imagine what they were thinking that day that on Saturday the day between the Friday and, 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 and today. All the emotions, all the, man, we thought Jesus was here. We thought Jesus was going to be the Savior and the King. And he died on the cross, and now he's dead. And they come in story, Luke, Luke 24. He says it like this. Luke's a doctor, writing. And he says, but very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb. Taking spices they had prepared, they found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in. But they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. 
The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? I love that. Why are you looking for somebody that's alive among the dead? Why do you look among the dead for somebody that's alive? Great question. He isn't there. He has risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed in the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day? Then they remembered what... Remember that he had said this. So they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and several other women who, who told the apostles what had happened. We get one of the strongest case, cases for this as an actual event is that Luke, a doctor, is recording this. He's, he's, he's recording history, and you know he names as his, as his primary eyewitnesses women. In that day, women's testimony wouldn't be held up in court, of law, in court of law. They didn't have the status to be able, even to be able to, to, to testify in court. That, that makes sense to you? So, so if somebody's going to invent you know, a story about this man dying on the cross and raising, you don't put women as your, as your primary eyewitnesses in your book. You would say, well, there was this guy, you know, this whatever, and you, you, you'd make this big story of somebody that would be really well-known. They, well, that guy's trustworthy. Women, not so much. That's not a bastion you guys ladies today. It's just that's what the culture was. They didn't have a voice. And yet Luke says, these women showed up. I love it. Some of, some of Jesus' followers were people that didn't even have a voice. He says, I've come to give you a better way. Talk about women's rights. Throughout the Bible, over and over, God is establishing these, saying, man, there's a better way than this to live. Offering his, his, his followers, even women, the opportunity to sit at his feet. That's a big deal for rabbis in that day. Because he loves everybody. He's big enough to span the gaps of man and woman, rich and poor, Republican and Democrat. He's able to bridge that gap and pull us in and say there's something better than, than this. And he names these people, Joanna, Mary Magdalene, mother, mother of, uh, Mary, the mother of James, several other women who told the apostle what happened. You'll see as we go a little further, there's other names that pop up, and I'll, I'll talk about that. So the story sounded like nonsense to the men, right? So I think we'd all agree. That's kind of crazy. Jesus died on the cross. We saw him die. He was dead. They put him in the grave. This kind of sounds like nonsense to the men, plus they're women. Why should we listen to you, right? So they didn't believe it. However, Peter jumped up and ran to the tomb to look. He's like, I'm not going to believe it. I have to see for myself. He runs, stooping. Uh, he peered in and saw empty linen wrappings. And then he went home again, wondering what had happened. Like, what just happened? Where is Jesus at? And the same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began to walk with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you guys discussing so intently as you walk? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. And then one of them, Cleopas, writes or replied, You must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about these things that have happened there the last, here these last few days. And Jesus says, What things? The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders, they handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped he was 
the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. All this happened three days ago. We had hoped that he was the Messiah that came to save us. We have this tyrant named Rome that's over us. And we know we serve the only God, but they're, they're, they're an oppression. They're oppressor over us, and they, they're keeping us down. We are hoping this was the guy that was going to free us from all that. We'd have our kingdom that David talked about, and that, that the Psalms talked about, and the prophets talked about. And they had lost hope. As Luke writes his stories and, and throughout his other part, other, book, other part of the book, he names these people that don't ever show up again. But it's, it's kind of like, I guess, what we call a footnote in a book. Kind of like, all right, so if you want to do some research, you want to know who I'm talking about, go find them. These eyewitnesses were alive. So as they wrote them, as they wrote these stories, he was wanting people to say, hey, if you, if you want to know for yourself, go ask this person. Go ask Cleopas. Go ask these ladies. They're eyewitnesses. And over and over, he names these people that we never see again. But I bet somebody knew who they were. They were able to go track down the story and say, all right, is this legit? What really happened here? What went down? This all happened three days ago. So Luke 24, we'll continue on. Then some women from our group of, group of his followers were at his tomb early this morning. And they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing and they had seen an angel. So this is the guys walking to Emmaus. They're telling, the, they're telling Jesus who they don't know. Just They thought he was a stranger. The story of what happened. Okay, he died three days ago. But then these women came from the tomb. Um, and, and with some amazing report, they, they said his body was missing, and they had seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women said. They weren't telling a lie. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He begins to show him, it's been there in front of you the whole time. Here's where this guy said, and this is what God said to this man. And this is where it talked about the, the, the suffering Messiah. They have the book of Isaiah. Isaiah talks about Jesus so much. And in the first part of Isaiah, we get this, this, this king who comes and rules with authority and might and strength. And the second part of the book, we get this, this servant who suffers but loves his people. And they might have assumed it was two people, not realizing it's the same exact person who's going to come in strength but come to serve and help others. So it goes on and says, By this time they were nearing Emmaus, and at the end of the journey, Jesus acted as if he was going on, but they begged him, Stay the night with us since it's getting late. So he went home with them. As they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it, and then he broke it and gave it to them. And suddenly their eyes were open. And they recognized him, and at that moment, he disappeared. They said to each other, Don't, Didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour, that, that, within the hour they were on their way back to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven disciples and the others who had gathered with them, who said, The Lord has really re- risen. He appeared to Peter. So they just see Jesus, and then they come back, and the other disciples saying, hey, he's really alive. He just appeared to Peter. And these guys are like, he just appeared to us. And Jesus has this, this it's, 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 a, it's a body, but it's different than our bodies. It can come and go, but he eats food. And he, could, he, he tells them to touch his hands and touch his scars as I'm, I'm alive. And they're kind of freaked out. You know, if, if you read on a little further it says in verse 45 that he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He said, yes, it is written a long time ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead. 
So he shows up again in this room with these people. And one of the writers, Matthew, he actually says, so Jesus all of a sudden appears. In the middle of it, he says, greetings. And if you're the disciples and you think all of a sudden, you know, somebody just appears in the middle of the room, greetings, you're like, whoa, where'd this guy come from? And I heard a pastor trying to explain to a kid. So this is what happened. The story, Easter story is going on. And all of a sudden he appears. And you know what he said? And the little girl says, yeah. He says, what? Ta-da. <laughs> and he says, that is probably the best translation you can get when it comes to the book of Matthew. Just shows up and says, like, hey, guys, I told you I was going to die, but I was going to live again. And they're like, well, this doesn't make sense at all. We don't understand what's going on. But you were dead, but now you're alive. This is amazing. And he began to show them. It's also written that, the me- that, that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations. Beginning in Jerusalem. Because he said, there is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are witnesses of all these things. So here's what I want you to know today. That God has a purpose for your life. And here's the purpose, to make a difference. But it starts first with knowing him. That's the most important thing God wants in your life, is that you would have a relationship with him. And then he'll begin to lead you in all the other things. But his purpose is that you would make a difference. You might think, I, I can't make a difference. What, is, what do you mean by that? Well, we're all looking for meaning in life and for purpose. And really, God designed you for a specific reason and purpose. But you will not discover it until you get, begin to know him first and know how he created you. Isaiah 25, 8 says it like this. He will swallow up death forever. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away all tears. He will remove forever all insults and mockery against his land and his people. The Lord has spoken. Whoa. Ta-da. Gabe, what are you doing behind me? <laughs> that is not our guy. So, so if you want to let them know, they can. Got a couple more minutes. <laughs> so this word, this is a new theater for us. This is our fifth week, and this has never happened. It didn't even happen in our other theater. One time, music played in the middle of our service, but. Um, that wasn't bad. I got rid of it. So, um, but we'll keep going. So Isaiah 25, eight says this, he will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away all tears. He'll remove forever all the insults and mockery against his land and people. The Lord has spoken. So prophet Isaiah is saying, Jesus is going to come. He's going to die. He's going to suffer. But part of this is because he's going to remove all of our suffering, all of our sin, all the insults and mockery forever. So one prophet, one of the writers, writers, he says that the third way that Jesus is offering, it's not religion or irreligion. It's a third way. It's called the good news. It's called the gospel. It's called the grace. And he says, actually, it's a new way to be human. I love that, that terminology. It's a new way to live. It's a new way to think. It's a new way to be human. Go to the next one for me. So we have the, the cross. Uh, we have the empty tomb, which speaks of the power and the might of God. And the compassion and the love of God for us. But if we put those together, it begins to kind of look like this, um, I guess, a target, right? You can kind of say, what is this all about? Well, in the middle of this, I think this is where we begin to find purpose in life. We begin to find meaning. The first part of this is he wants, and this is, this is what our church is all about. We do four things as a church. And we believe they're so important because this is, this is core to God's heart. 
Like these are the four things God wants to accomplish in your life. Four things. There's more things he wants you to do, but there's four core ideas and principles that he wants to do in your life. And the first one is this. He wants you to know God. See, in Romans, it talks about how, how Jesus died on the cross. It, took us, it takes us from death to life, about from, from being guilty to being free people, from being an enemy to a friend. There's a story in, in, in the Old Testament where these people are slaves, and God rescues them. It's a picture of Jesus coming to rescue us from sin and from being slaves to sin. So he wants us to know God, move from enemy to friend. Second, the second thing, he wants us to find freedom. He wants us to find freedom in your life. If you have addictions, maybe old thought processes, ways of, of thinking, he wants you to find freedom. He wants you to be free. Be free. The third thing, he wants you to discover purpose. He wants you to know there's a plan for your life. He's created you a specific way. The fourth thing, he's wants, he wants you to make a difference in life. But it all starts with knowing God. So we find these four things, make a difference, discover purpose, find freedom, know God. We find relationship. It's Jesus saying, all right, I'm coming. Here's the cross. It's about me establishing a relationship with you back with God and helping bridge the gap between all of these people in our lives, some easy to live with, some very hard to live with, the complicated, the, the mean, the angry. And he's bridging that gap saying, I've come so you can have life and know it. So here's my challenge today for you guys. If you don't know God, would you begin to learn and meet him and know God? If you have met God, but you're still struggling with maybe some addictions, maybe some hang-ups, maybe some hurts that you kind of held on to, would you find freedom? As you work through those, would you begin to discover purpose, how God made you, how God wired you? And in the middle of that, as you begin to make a difference, you're going to find fulfillment in your life. But here's the thing. There's always action. Action is always required alongside with what we believe. Because if there, if there is no action with what you say you believe, the truth is you really don't believe. Because there has to be action with what you say you believe. One of the writers says it's, it's faith without works is a dead faith. You can't proclaim that I have faith in God, I believe in him, and yet do nothing. Because that's not true faith. They work together. It's your actions, it's your life that come together and say, I, through my actions you're going to know my faith. You're going to know what I believe. So today what, what step or what action is God calling you to take to demonstrate your belief or your faith. I'm going to show you one video before we close. Come back up and lead you in a time of, of response. Through the centuries, theologians have wrestled with the scriptures to try and explain just what happened at Easter. They came up with different metaphors, different theories of atonements, so to speak, to try and explain the multiple facets of what was achieved at the cross. Many a line was crossed on that day. The first metaphor, the ransom theory, developed and championed by the likes of Oregon and St. Augustine in a world where slavery was common all around them, says this, that once we were enslaved, but now we are free. Just as the Jews were enslaved under Pharaoh, so every human being is born enslaved to sin, to evil, and to death. For at the cross, Jesus paid our ransom to set us free. 
As Jesus himself said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. In Galatians we read, it is for freedom that we have been set free. Because of Easter, we have crossed the line from slavery to freedom. The second metaphor, developed by Anselm of Canterbury and later Calvin, is the penal substitution theory. It goes like this. We all stand guilty in the courtroom of God. We have all broken his law, and the penalty for our sin is death. God is a just God, a God of righteousness, and he has to pass the sentence. But once the judge passed that sentence, he took off his robes, became flesh, and in the person of Jesus of Nazareth died in our place, taking the punishment that was reserved for us, so that now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because at Easter, we have gone from being declared guilty to being declared forgiven. The third metaphor, the moral influence theory, sees the cross primarily as a demonstration of God's love for humanity. Medieval theologian Peter Abelard states this, that in the cross, God's love is a beacon beckoning humanity to come and fellowship with him. As Paul states in Romans that when we were God's enemies, he reached out to us through his son and reconciled us to himself. Because of Easter, we have crossed the line from being God's enemies to being his friends. But in all this, the fullness of what was achieved at the cross is void and empty without the victory that came on Sunday morning, without the resurrection of Jesus. You see, in the biblical worldview, death is not natural. It is not to be regarded with a smile. Death is the ultimate enemy. It is a distortion, a cancer on God's good creation. And at Easter, death has begun to die. And life has begun to spring forth. At Easter, God tore a massive hole through history. The new creation has begun and life is springing forth. At the resurrection of Jesus, he was the first among billions to come to look forward to a full bodily resurrection. Because of Easter, death has been conquered by life. Because of Easter, because of the resurrection, we have been moved from death to life. Where or death is your victory? Where or death? Thanks be to God, for He has given us the victory through King Jesus, our Messiah. So, here's my question Are you now ready to call Jesus Lord? And if you ever thought of it, this guy talked on the screen. God is trying to move us from death to life, from enemy to friend, from slave to free person, from guilty to forgiven. I don't know where you fall in that line, but I know there's people here today that you don't know God, but God wants to know you. It's not an accident you're here today. 
God is reaching out the same way he reached out 2,000 years ago to come to earth, to live a life, to make a hole in the universe, to give us a way back to God, to conquer the very thing that we all should be afraid of and that we no longer have to be, death. Because of Easter, we have life. Because of Easter, we have new life. Because of Easter, we get to live forever. So here's the question. What, who or what are you trusting in for your eternity? There's a lot of things we can worship. But what are they going to say about eternity for you? The Bible says that one day we will all stand before God one day and we'll give an account for our life. And depending on who we're trusting for that answer will depend on his answer to us. For some, he's going to say, well done, good job. You, you figured it out, you understand what I was doing. For others, he's going to say, I don't know who you are. You don't want a relationship with me, I don't know who you are. So are you ready to receive God's gift of eternal life by placing your faith in Jesus? If you've never placed your faith in Jesus, that's the first start. It's the first step. God came from heaven and earth so we can have a relationship with him, be restored with him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says it like this. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. This is the good news. That every single person needs to hear that in the middle of the bad news, in the middle of whatever is going on in our crazy world, God has a better way, a better plan. It's good news. It's grace. It's a way that there's a way back to God that Jesus will rule and his kingdom will be perfect. And new life can start today. It's a day heaven invades earth. Do me a favor here. Would you close your eyes and bow your head? Bow your heads. If you're here today, as I talk about the cross and the the empty tomb and the grave, in the middle of this, God did this for you. He did it for me. Because he wants relationship with you. He's making a way back to him, himself, through his sacrifice, through his death, through his resurrection. He's offering a new way to be human. It's better than the right and it's better than the left. It's the best way we could possibly live. And he invites you to join him in this journey. He extends that invitation to you. So today, if you're here, the, see, the scriptures, they tell us that if we, are, if we confess our sins, he forgives our sins. That's what the cross is all about. And he offers us relationship and help. And you're, maybe you're here today and you don't, have, you don't have hope. Maybe there's some despair. Maybe there's some questions. Maybe there's no purpose. Can I tell you today, you can start a new life. You can start a relationship with the very God who made you. If that's you today, I want to lead you in a prayer. Would you just raise your hand and say, I'm here today. I would, I'd like to be, I would like to be led in this prayer. Awesome. I see those hands. I'm not going to call you up. I'm just going to lead you in a prayer from your seat. Are you ready, now ready to trust God for your eternity, for your future? It's the same invitation. He goes back to his disciples and says, guys, I, I want to lead you. It's a relationship. Anybody else? Give them an opportunity. Anybody else here? Say, and I need God's help. I need God's forgiveness. I want to go from enemy to friend. I want to go from death to life. I want to go from slave to free man or free woman. I want to go from guilty to forgiven. 
Awesome. For all you that raise your hand, I'm going to lead you in this prayer. Simple prayer, just saying, God, I acknowledge that I have sinned and my sin separates from me from you. But because of the cross, I can come back to you. And it's just an acknowledgement of saying, God, I want relationship. I want you to be the ruler and the leader of my life. So just pray this with me if you raise your hand. Some of you that are Christians and want to join us to encourage them, do that. Today, say, Father God, today I acknowledge that I need your help. Forgive me. I have sinned. I have broken your law. I deserve punishment. Thank you for dying on that cross for me. Thank you for taking my place. Thank you that you're alive and the tomb is empty. And because you conquered death, I can have new life. I invite you to be my God. Lead me. Help me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Can we celebrate those that prayed that prayer today? If you pray that prayer, can I tell you, it is the greatest decision you can make in your life. And I mean that. It's not, not exaggeration. When you connect to God and begin to find purpose and forgiveness and healing, we have stories in our church of people who are on the verge of um, wanting to end everything, begin to find life. We have people in our church that have been, were abused and have, have a lot of hurts and things in their life that God heals and fixes and begins to lead them into freedom. It's so awesome. So what you pray today is a big deal because God wants to lead you into the new life, into a better way. So if you prayed that prayer, a couple of things. If you don't have a Bible, we have a gift for you out there on the way out. It's just a free, free, a free Bible. It's a gift. Take it. Um, we also have another, another book. It's called Ten Steps Towards Christ. If you prayed this prayer today, or maybe you're here and you're kind of seeking, you want to know more about, about Christ and more about, about Jesus, it's a great book. It's called Ten Steps Towards Christ. It kind of leads you on this journey of saying, hey, there's these steps of faith that God wants you to make. Take that, that next step. That's also a gift out there. If, you, if you're needing one, if you pray that prayer, make sure you pick one up. It'll kind of encourage you to take those next steps. It talks about water baptism, which is one of the first steps you need to take as a new believer. of saying, I identify with, and here's what's awesome about water baptism. We identify with what Christ did on the cross and in the grave, and it shows what he's doing in our life. Right? So Christ, he dies, he dies, goes into the grave, but then he raises again to new life. That's what baptism is. It's us saying we're declaring that our old sinful ways, we're dying to those things. And because of the cross, because of the grave, we come up a new person. We come up free. It's an amazing declaration of our lives. Um, and then also if you prayed that prayer today, would you take a moment on this connection card? There's a place to check a box saying I made my commitment. I made a, I'm committing my life to Christ. I'd like to send you a letter just to kind of encourage you some next steps, things like that. Uh, just to be able to follow up with you. So take some moment to fill that out. If you made that, if you said that prayer, we'd like to know that, that you were here today that did that. Make sure you pick up one of those gifts, one of those books on the way out. Um, so we're thrilled you guys came today. We're, we're, um, we love what God is doing in the Grove. Uh, when people put their faith in God, he does not disappoint. He never disappoints. Uh, it's amazing how God fixes things, how God begins to work in our lives. He doesn't make everything perfect. And in fact, sometimes it gets a little worse at times. Because he wants us to really find healing and freedom from those things. And he moves us through those. So we're, we're thrilled you're here. Uh, we're going to end service just by receiving an offering. If you're a guest, uh, don't feel obligated to give. This is the time for those that say, this is, the Grove is my home. I want to see more people uh, know, know God. I want to see more people discover purpose. More people find freedom. 
and we invest in this time. So uh, thank you for giving online. Uh, they're going to pass the buckets uh, from the left to the right. You can put that card in if you're a guest or you made a commitment. Let us know or if you have prayer needs. Um, and uh, we just thank you for coming. We're, we're thrilled that you're here today. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to close with uh, one last video. God, thank you for today. Thank you for what it means to us, God, to be free people. God, I thank you for each person that raised their hand today that said they want to become a friend of God. Lord, would you, would you bless that prayer? Would you bless that, that, that step of faith, God, to honor them as they, as they commit their lives to follow you, Lord? I ask that you would give them strength to make a better choice than they've ever made before. God, protection over them as, as the enemy will want to try to, to come against and try to hurt and attack. God, we just pray just for protection. We pray that you would just work in our lives in a great way. God, let, let great stories come from these commitments, Lord God, to follow you, to know you more. Thank you that the grave is empty, God, and that the tomb, uh, that, the, the, that they found no one there because you're alive today. And you want to be our God. You want to be alive in us and through us and in this world. We invite you to lead us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As they pass the buckets, we're going to show one last video. This is the promo for next week, and you're dismissed after that.